Tristan. Hello, how you doing? So, T-Wood, what are we talking about today? So, today we're going to talk about, you know, a, a little bit of a, a common misconception that we, we seem to come across quite a bit. And that is people coming to us saying that, you know, I, I need more clients. I, I need you to help me with, you know, social media, with branding, so that I can bring more clients into my business. But in, in reality, it's, it's not really that that's, that's the issue. So Yeah, okay. So, this is, um, this is actually a really common thing across... You know, not just in our, in our interaction with clients, but, you know, looking at all kinds of businesses. And that is the idea behind if I could just create more revenue, like if I can just get more sales, then everything will be okay. So, you know, my cash flow is tight. I've got bills to pay. You know, I'm struggling to, to do X, Y, Z. And the solution is to sell more. So yeah, that's something that I that I see a lot. And as you said, we definitely see it with in the past we've, you know, been really well known for helping professionals with branding and all of that kind of stuff. So so often we have people come to us and say as you said, "Hey, look, help me grow my business." And then actually when we're we we dig into it, it's like, "Well, why is that your solution?" You know, and and I think one of the key aspects of that is definitely, you know, pricing, but it's certainly not the only one. There's so many elements of what's the sweet spot for where you're at? What's actually the lever that you should be that you should be working on in your you know, in your professional services and advice business. So what do you think the biggest the biggest kind of thing that we see is then Tristan? So people come to us and say, Hey, can you help me get more clients? In your experience in, you know, sitting in on lots of, uh, lots of meetings and doing lots of meetings, what's actually the first thing they usually have wrong? For the most part, I think it's kind of the, the relationship between, between client um, and advisor. So with any relationship, you know, you, you've got a bit of give, you've got a bit of take, it's back and forth. But I think a lot of people end up giving too much to the client without really getting anything in return. So it kind of come, it comes back to that common saying, that you have mentioned quite a few times and that is are you joining the client's business or, or are they joining yours? So in other words, if I was to extrapolate on that, there's um, I mean that's pretty that's that's kind of a broad thing. So it's the client yeah, engage it's the client engagement that's actually the problem. So in other words, they're sometimes friend zoning themselves. Yeah. We might we might talk about that a little bit. So you know, I definitely see, especially with, um, you know, people going out and starting their advice firm from scratch. It doesn't matter if it's consulting or coaching or financial advice or accounting or, you know, any of those awesome advice professions that, you know, we're obsessed with. There can be this common area of, you know, people going out and trying to win business where in the past, you know, most of the time when they're going to start a new business, they've had some experience in doing these things in someone else's business. But it's very different in going out and growing it from scratch. So, you know, I call it the friend the friend zone equation. So, you know, you, you're adding value, you're talking to people. You know, maybe you've even picked them up as a client, but you've picked them up for a client for, you know, this much. But you then get scope creep. <laughs> or in other words, you've got all of these other things you start helping them on and you end up giving that away for free 
in order to get the one piece that you're actually getting paid for. And, uh, you know, universally or almost universally where I dig into this and you've certainly, you've certainly seen heaps of this with me, Tristan is the thing that the advisors giving away is actually more valuable than the thing that they're charging for. Now that's not to say that whatever your denomination is that you don't have to charge and deliver, you know, that underpinning service, but going beyond that and charging for it. So in other words, why would you be, you know, let's, let's think about the, the, the widget analogy. I'm going to use glasses as an example, right? So just cause I can see a glass of water. So you're making a glass and it's costing you a dollar to make the glass, right? So pretty straightforward. Yep. I'm, uh, I'm going to do some basic maths here. So it's costing you a dollar, but you really only think it's costing you 80 cents, right? Yep. So in terms of material costs and manufacturing and wages and, you know, all of that kind of stuff, it's costing you 80 cents. But as soon as you start putting into the equation your personal energy involved in, you know, creating the factory and doing all of this stuff, as soon as you factor in, you know, the risk that you're taking on board, the, the return that you need to get for that risk, it's really costing you a dollar, right? So, I mean, any accountant wouldn't, or financial advisor for that matter, or, or coach or anyone who's sitting down with a client that's in business would say to someone who came to them and said, look, I'm, you know, I run this business, I make glasses, I'm producing them for a dollar or I'm producing them for 80 cents. Um, and I just need to sell more of them because I'm, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going broke. Okay. So any one of those advisors would look at that and go, well, actually, no, let's add up these extra costs that you might not have factored in. It's actually costing you a dollar to make this glass and you're selling them for a dollar. So you're coming to me and saying that you've got a problem with your business and the solution that you want me to help you with is to sell more glasses. Well, will that actually help you dig yourself out of the problem? Will that help you take the business to the next level? No. It will probably help you go broke faster. <laughs> yeah, quite quickly. So now I know I'm using a really, really clean example here and often when you're dealing with you know advice firms professional services it's not quite as clear cut as this right so you know maybe there is some profit in there maybe there's enough for the business owner to be to be scraping by but i also i also talk a lot about and you would have you know heard me use this many times the the owner's personal excess capacity okay so this is something really important when we're dealing with privately owned professional services firms, especially where it's a single owner business. But even where it's not, even when you've got multiple partners, you know, in a firm, what you have to understand is that the owners of that business and anyone capable of owning and running a business just to be successful and survive, so not not to be successful, but just to survive, has to have an excess capacity. An excess capacity over your standard employee is what I'm talking about, right? 
So as much as we're people and no one likes to get, you know, put in a box and dehumanize, that's certainly not what I'm doing. We also still need to think about it in a business sense. So production unit. So much like we're talking about building the glasses, it's why I use that analogy because we can think of it more clearly. Well, when you've got an advice firm, you still have a production unit. You still have production units, except those production units are people. It's people in combination with technology to deliver an outcome and experience and advice to the end client, right? So you have to be able to be in a position where you understand that if you're a business owner, you have excess capacity. And so often what I see is that as people, you know, start their firm, they build it, they mistake the business model being successful in terms of they earn an income, make a profit, they mistake their excess capacity for being a successful business model. Okay. The thing about it is though, if you're a business owner, you only have so much excess capacity before, before you can't do any more. Yeah. Right. All right. So, you know, I've met some, some crazy diligent people with insane work ethics that even for them, there reaches a limit. You know, you can't, you can't do more, you can't produce more energy and you certainly can't manipulate, you know, time. So the thing about this is, is people go about building their businesses thinking that, especially in the early days of building this production unit, that it's successful and it's profitable, but then they hit a cap, right? And this is pretty normal. And they hit this cap and they can't do more and they can't, you know, replicate that profit. It's not scalable. Mm. And the reason it's scalable is because the pricing wasn't right. The value articulation wasn't right. The value delivery wasn't right. And as we talked about, they're giving, in a lot of the cases, as, as in the example you gave, they're giving away so much of that value mm. that they're not actually getting paid for. And because they're not getting paid for it, they never go to that next level and actually deliver the value properly. And so this is what I see as being a, such a major issue. Now, where does it go to next? So if you look at say legal firms and accounting firms, what have, what have they done to solve this equation? Well, historically they didn't actually solve the equation, right? They just, they just replicated the use of that excess capacity. Okay. So in other words, you reach a point where I can't grow anymore. I'm doing too much, but I need, I want the business to grow. So what do I do? I take on another partner. All right. So that's how, you know, the partners kind of grow out yep. and then you use up that partner's excess capacity and then they reach the cap. And so the challenge for all professional services firms is really, you know, understanding this and understanding the disparity between you know, the people that can actually be business owners, partners, directors, or whatever, their excess capacity and the business model they've got, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So, pricing is a big element of this and it's the mistake around where we're at. So, if you, so what I see is, and I'm, I know this is a long explanation to, to kind of get to the point that you fired me up on very quickly, growing it isn't the next step sure. right? and yep. almost always when we're looking in advice businesses 
Except if it's day one and you've got no clients, right? <laughs> okay. But often, often, and it's funny because we'll, we'll do that in another episode, but even in that scenario, often the fact that you don't have the pricing right and you're not charging and your friend's owning yourself is the reason you're not growing your business faster, right? Even if you've got, you know, hardly any clients. So, yeah, I would say that that's a big component. And, you know, when people come to us and say, look, help me market my business and we start digging into it, it's like, no, you don't need to market your business. Yeah, <laughs> right? The next doubling of your revenue is just in the change of your perspective. Mm. Okay, so understanding, understanding that excess capacity, understanding how you mistakenly priced for it, understanding where you friend zoned yourself, understanding where the true value is and then moving. I mean, that's what this show is about, exceptional advice. So how do you go beyond? How do you deliver more and create more? And it's kind of funny because whenever you go through this, the result is the business grows faster. Yeah. So I kind of hog the microphone there. So what do you think then are some of the examples that we should talk about as far as what actually takes place when you change your value articulation and your pricing. Some of the examples. So as as a consequence, kind of everything changes, really. I mean, there, there's not really a limit if you're getting... I'd, and I don't want to say wrong, right? There's no really right or wrong way to do client engagement, unless maybe you're losing clients, right? But there, there's plenty of ways to do things that get results. But when when you're kind of leveling that playing field and almost getting on, on equal footing with, with your clients, you know, like that, that give and take we, we talked about before. Um, and you kind of lumped it into client engagement as, as a whole. So, you know, fees, charging, e everything kind of falls into that. So as a consequence of getting that right, it kind of seeps into everything else. So getting, getting fees right means you have more capacity. Having more capacity means you can actually get to the things you couldn't get to before. And it just kind of cascades and everything j jumps up a whole few levels. The other thing I want to talk about is referrals. Mm, yeah, right? definitely. So, you know, people often mistake content marketing and digital marketing and all of those things in the professional services space as being, you know, the best use of digital media and branding. And by the way, you can certainly attract and, you know, new clients and grow a business very successfully that way. But I think ultimately the bigger, the bigger use of these things is in increasing your referability, increasing your referral rate. And certainly that's a key metric that, you know, we look at whenever we're, we're helping a business review where they're at and look at how they can take a leap forward. What is the organic referral rate that, you know, you're receiving? And so we've done a hell of a lot of work in actually building the metrics behind this. And, um, you know, Tristan's kind of one of the members of the team that really gets into the numbers with me and, and uh, helps me build the code out behind the scenes. So what's the effect then, and I can ask you this because you've helped, you know, helped me quantify in mathematical terms mm. all, of, you know, all of the experience that I put into, into practice. What's the effect that pricing has on the referability component of of an a client's in, of, of an advisor's engagement with their clients? Well, it's it's really important. Um, 
at at the end of the day, it's it's pretty much exponential. Um, so the you you talk a fair bit about um having having price tension with with your clients and that it's not a bad thing. Um, so I don't I don't know if you wanted to delve into that today or maybe that's that's one for another episode. But well, um, I think I think it's important in the conversation. Sure, we yeah. can we could do one maybe fifty episodes on price. <laughs> On price tension, and we probably will, but it definitely. So, if I could expand on that, is not. It's almost always never about taking on board new clients, right? And and that's the topic of conversation today. Don't tell me you need to sell more glasses when you're not making a profit on the ones that you've got, or don't tell me that you want to grow more when you've already used up your excess capacity. Mm. And another concept here is, the, you know, the idea of sweet spots. So when you've got human production units, there'll be bands within your business growth cycle where it's really profitable. Okay. So, you know, it might be one advisor, one admin person, you know, maximum number of clients for them. Let's say it's, you know, 90 clients. And by the way, capacity will vary greatly depending on, pricing model and individual advisors capacity but i'm just picking a number right and certainly if you're a coach then you're not going to have 90 clients at a time because you're going much deeper with them but you get my point so the problem is that it's not a linear pathway to profitability no, by either no, by no means yeah right so you've got to be able to understand what the model is what the model is that you're running What's the excess capacity of the people in there? And what's the sweet spots where the business is going to be profitable? Mm. And if you're aiming for growth, but with the same model, then so often the reason for people saying, I just, I just want more clients, can you help me get more clients? Is because what they've done is they've moved out of a sweet spot and into an unprofitable, yep. you know, period in their business so you know they reached a point where they've now got to have more people maybe they've started to scale they've got other advisors in their, you know in their network and so then now it's now everything's compressed and so the solution is get more clients well yes that's generally not the clearest pathway especially in that place because you actually have to change the business model and and if the business model was right for the smaller scale, it doesn't mean it's right at the larger scale, just times by two mm, yeah. or times by three. So understanding how you're progressing through each of the sweet spots of your engagement, what you can deliver, how you can deliver it. But I think most importantly, how you're pricing that. Because as you do this, as you progress as a business and as an advisor, the individual people should get better. Okay. And this is also one of the problems that I'd kind of throw in into this. And I know you've got some, some ideas that we should explore here, but I want to introduce you know, this concept to the, to the mix as well. And so that is that advisors, right. Are coming in, they're delivering their denomination. And yep. so they think it's about the financial advice, so the retirement planning and the portfolio management and sure. yep. or the insurance and superannuation or it's the, you know, if it's an accounting firm, 
it's obviously all the compliance mm. components and maybe some you know some basic cash flow and business advisory and you know support around those kinds of things right but the truth is that if you're doing it right, then you actually get better as an advisor and the things that we call exceptional advice. So actually helping people make better decisions. It's no longer about delivering the technical component. It's about how much impact you can have. What behavioral change can you actually get them to make in their business? Yeah. Not just how well did you get them to look at their numbers and how well have you produced the numbers? Mm -hmm. yep. And so the thing about that is what you actually have to get you yourself to do as well as the other advisors you know that you're bringing up as you as you scale and as you grow you have to actually make them better at what they do and when they're better at what they do guess guess what you can actually do charge charge more right you're creating more value so you can charge more for it so i'm going to wrap all of this together with you know the key point we started out with which is i want to grow but usually it's pricing well, it's pricing because you're not charging for the value you're delivering enough. It's pricing because you're not translating the value in into that next stage, which is the behavioral change. They're really making a difference in that person's life and recognizing that that impact is worth dollars. And the better you are at it, the more it's worth. Okay? Not just the technical component. And then the one that you touched on briefly as I asked you, which is the price tension. Okay. So as I said, we could do lots of episodes on that and we will. Price tension is such an important component of getting, getting advice right. Because if you don't charge your client enough, they don't value it enough, they don't listen to you enough, they don't take it seriously enough. And interestingly enough, you know, closing the loop on what, we were, were talking about they don't refer mm -hmm. okay so universally when you know clients come to us we're going to take a step back and say well sure you know you can you can go and build your brand you can reach out you can scale your individual people you know build trust increase your referral rate you can do all of this kind of stuff but generally speaking that's not the place to start it's where's, where, where are you at on that human production unit? Mm. Where are you going to? Where are your misconceptions about the next staging of your value? And certainly the pricing of that. So evolving your business model is usually the thing that takes place after it. Once you do that, it's also kind of funny, and you've seen this many times, Marketing kind of takes care of itself. Yep, for sure. So how many times have you heard me say to <laughs> to an advisor, look, don't worry about where the next clients are coming from. We just You just do this and they're going to magically turn up. Yep. And then we go through the process of doing these things and 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 what kind of what kind of comments do we get back? Oh, where are these clients coming from? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Most I, don't, of the time. I don't even know how this is happening or where they're coming from. So getting that alignment is critical. And it's, it's funny because people think about, you know, doing that at the start of your business and it's true, you absolutely need to, but almost no one does. Um, and we're going to have some awesome guests who, you know, in two or three years have built amazing firms because they really started out with this, this principle, right? You know, know who you are, know, know which value scaling you're doing, 
know how you're going to price don't friend zone yourself know where the real value is and how to articulate it and i think most importantly be willing to say no right it's yeah. kind of interesting because most people when they start their own firm it's like i've got to get everyone right i need the revenue i need the clients as soon as you have the philosophy of i need the next client you're not in the the mind the mind space of delivering the greatest value and you certainly can become biased in how to solve the problem that's why you want to sell more glasses instead of uh i don't know maybe maybe changing the design and charging a premium and maybe selling less glasses but selling them for a hundred dollars a piece okay so what other things should we should we talk about um, one other thing I was just a little curious about was um, you touched on, you know, referral rates as as a consequence of raising fees. Do you find that that, differ, that differs in between um, denominations? So does that, do the metrics differ much from ad- advice to accounting, for example, or anything along those lines? Um, really, not much. Okay. Okay, now... That being said, there's there's all kinds of nuances, and as you know, because you've helped me helped me build an algorithm behind the scenes that actually mathematically measures this when we go through and and benchmark advisors. So what I would say is it's the interaction between a whole range of things. So the the momentum or the relative momentum of referrals may actually be different, but the scale would be similar. So in other words, if you're if you're a business coach, for example, right? Yep. And, you know, we we do lots of different things, but as an advisor, I've always wanted to not move away from that because I really love going deep with my clients and I get to practice, you know, practice my own versions of exceptional advice. So, but as a coach where you're working with people through issues and getting them to where they want to be in a super intense way, right super intense you can't have you know hundreds of clients Mm. so what i would say is that the rate or the relative the number will be different okay but the impact will be very similar yeah okay okay so you know a coach a coach as they increase their pricing and create more price tension so it's not about the price it's not just about charging people more it's about the relative tension between the advisor and their client for whatever it is that you're doing there's two elements to that one is the client's sensitivity to pricing and value so i always think of this as a you know a bell curve right standard deviation most most professionals price for the bottom end of that bell curve right they don't want people saying no because of price now, this is assuming all th- other things are equal. So mm, yeah. you've articulated your value well. You've helped them get really clear in emotional contextual terms what it is you're going to help them change. So it's in their emotional language. So assuming you've, you've done that well, then, yeah, price sensitivity works on a bell curve. And the problem is that almost all advisors, because they're driven to be of service to others, right, can also run the risk of sublimating their own sense of value in the equation and so in other words they don't want to deal with the price tension equation because we all naturally try to avoid tension in our relationships yep so they price at the bottom of the bell curve 
So what I would say is that a big part of this is not pricing for the bottom, but at least pricing towards the middle. So in other words, you're going to have people say no. Right? But like I said, you're, be you're better off selling, you know, a thousand glasses at $100 each than you are in selling 2,000 or 3,000 or even 4,000 glasses yeah. at, you know, at a dollar each. Okay. So that's a part of it. But it's the price tension that creates a change in value perception. So that's the key point. When you've paid enough that there's some pain in the experience, then you value what you're actually receiving more. You take more notice yeah. of it. Right? It's just basic human psychology. So when it comes to your clients, I would say no. It, it, yes, it, well, to answer your question, yes, it changes the numerical rate. So a financial advisor who may have, you know, 150 clients, mm. right, will obviously have numerically more referrals as a result of increased price tension because they've got more clients. Yeah, sure. Um, and a coach, by the same token, the actual percentage will be similar. So they may be charging more for less clients. Yeah. But no, I haven't I haven't really seen a difference between, okay. you know, lawyers or accountants or any of the advice professions. Okay. So one other thing you mentioned was um, you know, charging or rather not charging for stuff that you're already doing for clients. So you you mentioned it in, in, in regards to kind of scope creep. You end up doing stuff for clients that they're not paying for, but you know it's just a little bit here and there, and then it just kind of blows up to this big thing. So, how do you? I'm trying. I'm trying to even think of how to ask the question properly. How do you kind of one start charging for that when you haven't in in the past, and two, if it's not something that you know you're you think a typical accountant or a typical financial advisor would help with, how do you kind of get out of that box and become a bit more comfortable doing it with clients wow there are two <laughs> two really big questions um so let's kind of start with the first one and i may need you to write, remind me of the second yep. so so bear with me i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna separate them out even though they're very intertwined so really really good questions um and obviously again we could do 100 episodes on this uh, and the reason is because when it gets down to the true answer, the it, the nuance matters. So in other words, it's not about how to do it, but about how to get you to do it. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so I can answer I can answer the the basic version of it very simply. How do you change it? You, you just change it. You don't do it anymore. You say to clients, "Okay, look." here's where you are, here's where you want to get to. I'm doing this work. I need to charge you for it. Um, and I can't go any further until I do. Right? It's pretty straightforward. Sure. But in reality, that's not really the question. The question no. is, well, oh, hang on a second. That doesn't, that sounds uncomfortable. What do you mean I have to be disciplined and say those things? Oh, but but my client, my clients, they've been clients of mine for, for 10 years. I can't say that to them. I'll hurt their feelings. Or, uh, I mean, I'm, I've, heard, I've heard all of these things, right, many times, as, as have you sitting in on uh, meetings with me and doing your own. So the issue isn't 
how do you do it? It's very simple. Don't just don't do it. Be direct, be upfront, say to your clients, here's the value in order to do this work for you. In order to have this conversation, there's value in the conversation. And for me to go forward, I'm going to need to charge you for it. And to say no, to draw a line in the sand, to be prepared for them to walk away. Right. And this is the thing because uh, well, then this raises all the, well, I'm doing this other work and I'm getting paid for that. Right. And I don't want to lose that. And so this is where the nuance comes into play, you know, at the moment. Um, and you know, this is a client that you've also worked on with me. Mm. I've got one in the, at the moment and it's it's kind of ironic because I'm, I'm absolutely helping them solve these specific issues. So this particular client, they've got lots of, uh, lots of whip and write off, um, and lock up in their accounting firm. So in other words, work they've done that they haven't been paid for. Um, and at the moment, just because of complexities between the partners, you know, we've reached a point where we're actually doing some work we haven't been paid for. Yep. First time in in years. Yeah, a long time. Yeah. Um, and there's going to be nuance in this. So I made the call. You know, I understand the parties. I've talked to them about it. Um, and, you know, I've made arrangements for it. I also drew a line in the sand. I said, well, this is where we're getting to, and I'm, and I'm prepared to make that investment, but beyond here, and look at the value we've created, but beyond this, you're going to have to get everyone in line. And that's what the issue is. It's just a difference in lockstep between parties and in a partnership. You know, sometimes there's complexities in change between parties. My point in all of that, though, is there's nuance. It'll always be a challenge, and that's why it requires discipline. But the deeper answer is your fears, right? So how do, when we're working with someone else to help them go through this and eliminate wherever possible, you know, the things that upset a business, an advice business, there's no quick answer, is there? No. Because we've got to actually help that person overcome their own internal conflicts with regards to this. Okay, and that's a journey. Yeah, it certainly is. So kind of, we'll move into the, the second part of the question. I think you answered the first part really well. So how do you, how do you kind of get out of that box? So s- specifically for work that kind of wouldn't fall in your, your typical purview. Okay, so if I can maybe restate the question just to make sure I've, yep. I'm, I'm zoned into it. So in other words... The scope's creeped, but it doesn't fit within the box. Yeah. Right? Uh, well, I mean, that's the problem. The box is an illusion anyway, right? Yeah. So one of the things that I always, always, always say and talk about is you're not a financial advisor. You're not an accountant. You're not a lawyer. You're not a coach. You know, you're not a consultant. You're first and foremost an advisor who is there to help your clients create an outcome that's of benefit to them, all right, to make their lives better, okay? I mean, even with the consultants that, you know, that I've worked with that work with big corporations, a big part of the problem they forget is 
they're not delivering to a corporation. They're still delivering to people. Yeah. And the, the complexities of that is that people can change. Yeah, of course. Right? So you start out doing the project and the value you're bringing to the table for the person who's making the decision, I don't know, maybe it's the CEO or COO, whatever it is, um, you still had to articulate it in terms of how it's going to help them in their life because that's how we're interpreting making the decision. It's still, mm, But yeah. that just has to be in business terms, right? Same challenge everyone has. And of course, you know, that CEO might leave or whatever, but that's where you have to go go deeper with the people. So what I would say is you're not the denomination first. That's the box thinking that keeps you trapped in being a technician. And a technician for whatever your denomination is, can be a good advisor. And if they're, if they're acting purely in that technical capacity, then maybe even they can be a great advisor. Yeah. But in my definition, they can never be an exceptional advisor because they're trapped by the box instead of actually what the box is for. Yeah, right. I mean, so why are you advising clients on the retirement plan, right? So you're helping them retire and you're advising them about their, you know, their superannuation or their 401k or, you know, wherever you are, whatever the, the terminology is. So you're advising them around structuring and investments, but why? The outcome's not to have not to have them get a better return or minimize risk or diversify or whatever. The outcome is first and foremost to help them live the kind of life they want to live, right? Hmm. So the definition gets in the way. So the first thing you have to do is to redefine it in your head. And this is what I keep talking about. The key to being exceptional advisor is going internally before you go externally. Yeah, right. Right. That's the beauty. That's the beauty to me of being an advisor, but also being in business. It's the best combination. Uh, being in business forces you to become more aware. You've got more challenges, more risk, more tension, and just surviving in business forces you to go through an evolution of self. Right. I mean, it doesn't for everyone, but it certainly does for me, and it does for <laughs> yeah. It does for most business owners that I know. And then you've got being an advisor. So as you go on the journey of learning to move from, you know, to be becoming a, a, a good technician and maybe even a great technician and then figuring out that that's not the stuff that actually makes the change and going beyond that, all of that is a journey of self. Yeah. So that's the reason why it's not just, when we when we're an advisor to other advisors it's the same thing yep. we're helping them make better decisions see themselves uh you know overcome their obstacles and it's always about them it's just in a different framework really so the as i was saying the first thing you have to do is to set aside that box it's the box that's getting you in trouble it's the how is everyone else doing it well, I haven't done that before. Or that's not what they're coming for. Or that's not what they're paying for. All of those thought processes are worrying about yourself, right? It's all, it's all focused on the wrong thing. 
So you have to change that point of view. It has to be, how am I going to get this person to where they really want to be? What obstacle am I helping them overcome? How am I helping them make better decisions? It's looking at that outcome first. And the second is understanding that you being the person helping them bridge that gap is super valuable, super valuable. And that you can't be objective about your own scenario. You've heard me have rants about this all the time. It's why everyone needs an advisor. It's why I need advisors. Right? I've been advising others my whole life. But you think I can be objective about my own situation? Well, I try and I get better at it all the time. But I'll never be as objective and I'll never be able to be as objective as when I get other people to, mm. to help me see myself through their eyes. So I, uh, I put a post up on LinkedIn asking what people thought exceptional advice w was. And what are the key components to it? And so I think the bit that I'd like to add is in order to give exceptional advice, you're allowing the client to see themselves through your eyes. Because ultimately it's about them making the decision. Mm, yeah, it, okay. it's to rest with them. So, and that's kind of such a big mistake with people. They think advice is about advice. And <laughs> it's kind of the paradox, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, I ha had some had some posts on there. Well, I don't know if advice is actually the right word. Well, I think, it, I think advice is a good word and we've chosen it. But it's not actually about giving advice, right? In fact, to be exceptional at advice, you're actually getting the client to give themselves advice. And that's the trick. <laughs> you're not actually the advisor. So I think this is a good way to, to answer your question to think about it. You're there to help someone trigger an evolution to make better decisions to you know move forward with whatever it is it's about them having a better experience and a better life and you have to over overcome imposter syndrome to recognize that just you being there with them and asking questions and challenging them and getting them to see that stuff is worth the money that's where the real value is and this is why it's such a big deal and it's so hard. It's why so many advisors are caught up in the, no, the value is the how good we are at managing a portfolio or that it's our process and our 10-step retirement planning or, you know, our cash flow management plan for businesses or, or whatever. And because of that, they're only charging for that component, but never truly embracing the next step forward, which is their ability to create a change with a client. And so I would say overcoming that imposter syndrome and changing your perspective is actually how you do it. Other than, hey, don't, don't get caught up in what other people do. If it's valuable, Tell your client you're going to help them with it and charge them for it. Right? It's amazing. Every time we do this and we help advisors sit down and say, well, all you got to do is frame it and tell them you're going to charge them. And here's the reason why. And believe it. And guess what magically happens? Right? How often do we, when we're sitting down with an advisor and we actually go through their client scenarios, 
and we we give them input and okay this is a real situation you already knew this just tell you this now put this fee for it mm. how often does a client say no oh really ever <laughs> it's amazing isn't it yeah the, the the ratio is so small it's it it's almost a wonder that it's that it's a concern <laughs> at all like it, it it's, it's such a big fear factor and then you know we we go through it with so many different clients and they're all like oh yeah it was wasn't even a thing just happened now don't get me wrong they're sure some people on that bell curve are you know they're gonna say no but they're always gonna say no and so all that you avoided was ever getting a rejection <laughs> that's all you did because you didn't put it to them so 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 yeah you didn't get a yes you just didn't get a rejection the same thing comes to repricing so not just charging for the real value so this is kind of the value add component um and i would suggest there are so many so many advisors out there that are doing the box component with their client but if they could just trust themselves a little bit and worry less and be more in the moment there's so they could tr trigger an enormous cascade for that client and charge for it and it's right there in front of them and i can tell you that because you know if i literally sit down and go through client specific examples and in almost every scenario it's right there in front it's right there okay so yeah i know it's i know it's not a simple answer um but it's it's definitely a component of the answer so just understand the value charge for it tell a client this is this is the in emotional context so you've got to get them to articulate in their emotional language where they want to be and tell them how you're going to help them do it and then give them a price and don't do the work until you've given them the price and i think that's also where people get in trouble here you know they so they start doing it they deliver it where's the line drawn you know mm. it's like you said it's like they says i said scope creep so i kind of did it and i talked about it and i raised it and then I'm doing more of it, but where do I actually start drawing the line? Look, that's just really about having better process. But I've always found, right, I can build online courses for people and, you know, we have. And we can tell you exactly how to do the process. Say it in this order, do it this way, articulate it this way, draw it out with these questions and then deliver it this way. The problem is that people don't do it. And the reason they don't do it is because the nuance is in their own gap their own gap of self-worth imposter syndrome whatever it may be so with every person that we work with we just got to identify what are those key context conflicts ask the right questions have the magic breakthrough and then give them the process and that's when the magic happens so that's our i mean we're using ourselves as an example because we just happen to be just like you advisors it's just that we work with other advisors so we're giving you this context because this is our own expression of exceptional advice. You have exactly the same things and the same function with your clients mm, if you yeah. plan to be an exceptional advisor. So one other thing that kind of popped up near the end there was, what if, so, you know, you, you take it to the client, you pitch it to them, this is the value, and you kind of, you almost preventing that scope creep front by kind of isolating it on its own off off to the side so what if what if someone's you know 
they say, look, that, that sounds great, but I'm, I'm not that interested right now. What kind of variables do you have to consider when, you know, if you proceed with that relationship that's more transactional or do you not proceed? Like, how do you, how do you weigh it up? Yeah, geez, you're asking the nuanced questions. <laughs> um, so what I would say is it's going to depend. Oh, of course, yeah. Right? So some of you have denominations that are part of, you know, part of your offering is, a, you know, an interaction. So, you know, if you're a lawyer, for example, and you're involved in a family restructure, so they've come to you because they want, you know, they want some some documents drawn and they want help in transferring assets. But you've then gone in deeper and gone, well, actually there's some issues behind the scenes and I think I need to sit down and help you resolve these things and and it's what you're asking me to do and it's mm -hmm. what we're doing and this is going to be part of it in order to get it right and you present it to them. So I'm just picking an example here. And they say, well, look, we just don't want to do that. Okay. So if you, and again, in that situation, is so long as you've partitioned it well, that doesn't mean you're precluded from not following their instructions. No, of course not. Okay, so we'll go through, and I'm, but I'm letting you know, these are the issues, I've been clear in that, you've decided not to explore that, so we're only limiting ourselves to this. Okay? So the thing about it is, though, you've got to be clear mm. and allow them to say no. Now... On the flip side, you know, we work with a lot of financial advisors as well, right? And so a lot of those are going, are they evolving their business out of any transactional stuff, right? They don't want that. They just want clients that want deep relationships, deep connections. Now, by the way, there's no right or wrong here. There's lots of different business models that you can build, but this is a common scenario. And if that's the case, then it's a different story. It's almost like, well, no, you, you don't want to engage at that level. I'm not the advisor for you. Okay. But you have to be upfront with it because yeah. otherwise you'd be dancing around. And I've seen this so many times. Well, well, I'm still getting insurance commissions and you know, I'm still getting a fee for that part, but it's not my minimum fee to, to engage properly. And, so do I cut the income off or don't I cut the income off? And so they dance around it and the client doesn't engage. So they're hedging their bets. And so it's kind of in limbo and they end up asking you to do things and you kind of do it, but you're a bit resentful. They're not getting their full value and you've never been clear. And I see that happen all the time. And the problem with that is you're not actually getting anything out of that. It is costing you energy. And that opportunity cost is killing your business. So it's about understanding in each scenario, I think, where that line is. Mm. You have to be really clear. How far do you take the digging? You know, I always meet with clients two, maybe even three times before I put a fee to them. Now, that's, that's high. For most people, that's not appropriate. Um, you know, as, as you know, in my scenario, I'm pretty picky about the people I want to work with. So it's not just about whether they want to engage with us. It's about whether I want to work with them because if we're going to, at least, at least in the direct coaching component, right? Yeah. And the mentoring and consulting, because as soon as we do that, I'm going deep. And if we're, if we're working together, we're getting results. Yep. So I've got to make sure that happens and you know, I'm going to charge for it. I'm going to charge very well for it. 
but in comparison to the return they're going to get, it's minuscule. Yeah. Okay, so for me, I'm okay to draw draw it out, but I always have to be aware of where that line is. And as soon as I recognize it's not crossing over, I've got to call it. Yep. Okay? This is not right for this person. Maybe even they haven't said it directly yet, but you've got to be able to know. Or this person isn't right for me, so I'm going to call it. I'm going to make sure I've delivered value in the initial engagement. I'm going to make sure that the relationship goodwill is amplified, but I'm going to have a trigger event. And you have to do the same thing. And as soon as you extend beyond that without saying, well, look, this is where we are. This is the next steps and I'm going to need to charge you for it. If you cross that line, it gets harder and harder. And I think that's partly what you were asking me before, right? Yeah. How do you start charging when you didn't? Well, the more you go over that line, the harder it gets. It doesn't really. That's just in your head. So wherever you're at, if you've got a client engagement, the scope creep's blown out, you... What, how do you fix it? Simple. Call them. Have a meeting. Be honest. Be direct. Okay, so this is what's happened. I've gone beyond the scope of my engagement. I've gone beyond where I feel comfortable. I feel like I'm delivering value and we're now moving into these bits. I think you really need my help and that I can help you get to where you want to be, but I'm going to need to start charging you. So as soon as you've crossed the line between finding the connection and understanding what their value is and moving forward, that's when you've got to put a fee to them. And if you move past that, it gets harder. But if it has moved past it, change it. It's never too late to change it. And while you're talking about kind of, you know, going back to clients and almost resetting things, we've, you kind of touched on it before, but not too much so i mentioned kind of the the clients joining your business versus you joining theirs but more in, in a completely different sense so another way of kind of looking at your positioning within the relationship is the the relative benefit that you know a client gets from being part of your business versus the relative benefit that you get having the client like a, as a part of your business so did you want to Maybe comment on that a little bit. Maybe yeah, abs absolutely. Well, you know that's a favorite. Yeah, of course, a favorite <laughs> of mine, right? Um, I feel sorry for you. You've heard, you've had to listen to <laughs> me have these conversations so many times, and now you're now you're making me say them all again. Um, look, it's pretty simple, right? Um, and I talk about this when uh, I'm going to use a separate example as a way to to explain it. So I, I always ask an advisor, "Did you?" Did you Google your client before they came in? You know, did you look them up on social media? And often the advisors say, say no. And I'm like, well, why not? Chances are they Googled you, right? And so often advisors do and they'll, you know, Google associates or centers of influence or other people they're meeting and they'll look them up on LinkedIn or whatever. And I always say this to them. So the reason that, you know that people are Googling you, your prospective clients, because for all of the people that, you know, we're, we mostly speak to, so, you know, lawyers, financial advisors, accountants, you know, consultants, coaches, etc. If a client says yes or no to you, how much difference does it make to you personally? Right? I mean, you've got to get rejections in order to get clients, right? It doesn't make sense that everyone should work with you 
And you're never going to get 100% because that would be a failure in itself. So how much difference does it make to you? So, I mean, Tristan, if a new prospective client was coming to speak to us and mm. you know, talking to you, do all of them say yes? No, of course not. So if you've engaged with them and talk, talk through and, you know, help them maybe do a benchmarking plan or whatever, but they don't go to the next step, how much actual difference does that make to your life? Uh, a small amount. I mean, I, I don't really take it personally, but even if I did, the difference isn't really that much. So, yeah, I mean, you might have really liked them and they yeah. said no and you were surprised and you can't help but get that feeling. Mm. Every advisor listening to this knows exactly what feeling I'm talking about. But the more you've been doing it, the quicker that feeling goes away, right? <laughs> um, yes, I still remember specific clients that were, I thought I'd done the best job ever that, you know, came back and left left to go somewhere else for really, really bad reasons. So I've still got some of those. Maybe I need to go back and process some <laughs> of them. We'll have a therapy session on that. So all advisors have had that happen, right? I get it. I, I know. I understand. But even so, it's only a relative impact. Like it's tiny. Even if you charge a lot and it's a big deal, it happens, move on. On the flip side, how much difference does it make to the client if they decide to engage you or not? Loads. I mean, relatively speaking, it makes a lot more difference to them than it does to you. Even, even in the advice professions that are more transactional. So let's say you're a finance broker, right? You're helping clients borrow money for for expanding their business. So it's relatively transactional and, you know, you might not speak to your clients every every single year and maybe you only get to deal with them once. But your advice is still going to make a big difference, yeah. right? And certainly if you're a financial advisor, then how much difference are you actually going to make in that person's life over a long period of time? Massive. And if you're an exceptional advisor, then the difference is everything. Because you're, if you're an exceptional advisor, then first and foremost, you are there to help that client get to where they want to be, to have the kind of life they want to live, to make better decisions, to move past their own obstacles. And so if they're engaging with you, then you're helping them have a better life and doing that with objectivity over time. So the difference is everything. Okay, does that make sense? Yeah. And yet, when professionals are engaging clients, they act as if this is reversed. Yep. So, it's like they have to try really hard. So, I'll, do, I'll be what I need to be. I've got to convince this client to be my client. And in the end, that doesn't benefit anyone. Because, I mean, you think about it, it's just logically, it's ridiculous, right? You're the person that's going to help, cha help them change their life. So you're the one that's got all the difference to add. They don't have a big difference to add to you. So why would you approach them in a, in a subservient way, if that makes sense? So that's why I always ask the question, and you brought it up before, mm. Are you joining the client's business or are they joining yours? Because most professionals, when you break it down psychologically and you listen to their meetings and you hear their syntax and their body language and you know all of these things, mostly they're acting as if they're joining the client business. Yeah. And unfortunately, that upsets the relationship. 
because if that's the case if it's they're now looking at it from a what have you done for me lately you know <laughs> because i'm paying you what am i getting out of you right instead of well, look, I'm really good at what I do and I'm not sure this is right for you. And if you're coming on board, then you're going to take it seriously and I'm going to challenge you and push you. And if you, you know, you, you don't do X, Y, Z, whatever your expectations are, then, you know, I'm not going to be able to work with you. Just think about the positioning change. Now, it's not about manipulating clients. It's about understanding your value in this. Own your value. And that's really the challenge. Yeah, that's really the issue. Kind of let's sum up the conversation we've had today. It's usually not about getting more clients. It's usually about you owning your value. You haven't owned it right. You don't understand who it's for. Your psychological positioning is incorrect. You've got belief patterns that, you know, are in the way. And by the way, that's fine because we're all indoctrinated into the same school of things that were actually counted to being an exceptional advisor, right? Create price tension, charge appropriately, make sure clients are joining your business, not the other way around. And all of a sudden, new clients isn't the issue anymore. Almost becomes a, co a, a consequence of all the other things. Yeah, it does. And I c it's kind of funny because when it's no longer an issue, that's actually when you can move to business development yeah right <laughs> it's like let's let's make it so that you don't need it and in fact that's the perfect time to actually be looking to scale and market a business when you don't need it because then the perspective is right it's not that you're trying to convince anyone it's now you're actually allowing people the opportunity to join your business you're just sharing it more it's i know it sounds it sounds subtle but the nuance makes all the difference Well, I might hand over to you. You've exhausted my list of pre-prepared questions. So if there's anything you want to add. No, I actually felt like that was the perfect ending. Awesome. Um, so thanks, everyone. Hope you got a lot of value out of our episode today. Um, please make sure that you're supporting us. We're, we're wanting to share all of the insights that we've got, um, interviewing others, talking about it amongst ourselves. So please make sure that you subscribe. Uh, we produce this on YouTube and obviously all the podcasting platforms as well. Please follow us in all of those places. Like and comment. It really makes the difference. And if you do that, we're going to be here and supporting you all the way. Let's go forward to building exceptional advice. Cheers. See you later.